You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris, and I'm just setting up this roundtable discussion that we have with our good friend of the podcast. That's Corbin Maxey. We've done a couple of the roundtables with him, uh, me, Angie, and Corbin. Uh, the, the first one we did was just inviting Corbin on the program way back when, and then we've done a couple programs where we've talked about trophy hunting, and then we've also talked about why zoos and aquarium matters. So Corbin reached out to us. He wanted to do another one. We we jumped at the chance every time we do these with him they're they're a fascinating discussion on a critical topic and and we did this and it was so timely because just last week in the united states you know our administration here is trying to gut and strip special protections for endangered species in the united states it's made the made the news around here and it's causing quite a few waves because again it would end protection for wolves across the United States or, or, or potentially could in certain areas. So we had a, a discussion on wolves and, and really the hunting of wolves, what that means. And we, Angie and I, you know, obviously come at this as scientists. We try to come at it with a neutral mind, but I'll be honest, I made my mind up and you can listen to find out what my opinion is because I looked at the data, I looked at the facts and I just made up my mind. I'm like, okay, this is, this is how I feel. But it's a, a, a fun discussion we had with him. Again, you want to follow Corbin, please follow him on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook, or his Animals to the Max podcast. You can actually go to his website, which is CorbinMaxey.com, C-O-R-B-I-N-M-A-X-E-Y.com. Great friend, just a great friend of the podcast. And we're going to be doing more of these with him in the future. It's just, I think it's really important that that all of us start coming together, you know, whatever medium we, we do, you know, Corbin has his podcast also goes on TV shows and we're making contacts with others in the industry because I, I really believe we need to come together and, and, and spread our message with one loud voice rather than a bunch of little voices in the darkness. So anyways, wonderful talk. I hope you enjoy it. And uh, here we go. Corbin, Angie and I discussing wolves and why they're important. All right, Chris and Angie from the All Creatures Podcast. I am so excited to have you both on the show. Hey, Corbin. Yeah, it's awesome to be back. We, we, yeah, twice a year, three times a year, we need to do this. We need to come together and, and chat. 
Yeah, and th- I, these are like some of the most popular episodes are roundtable discussions because we did trophy hunting on your show. Mm-hmm. We did Why Zoos Matter. Mm-hmm. And now we're talking mm-hmm. about something so controversial. We're talking about wolves. And Angie, can you give us a wolf howl, please? Do it. Oh. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> this I, is all they do all day at home. I think that's where I'll just reinsert some actual audio during the- <laughs> <laughs> I have my I haven't warmed up my my vocal folds yet. Come on, give me a break. Okay, I've been on vacation. We'll give you guys a break. <laughs> no, thank you so yeah. much. And I just before we dive into this, I am such a huge fan yeah. of your podcast. And thank you so much because you name drop me all the time, and I literally freak out. Like I'm like, oh my god, they said my name, and it's like it's crazy. <laughs> so thank you so much. I love your podcast, All Creatures Podcast. Thanks. And, you know, we always uh, push your podcast, you know, Animals to the Max. And it was funny because we did the 100th episode. I still, when I was putting that together with Angie, I crack up on the zoo one when I'm sitting there going off on this tangent. And I'm like, oh, wait, that's it. And then Angie came in and said, oh, that's so lame. And you guys, oh, my God. Anyways, <laughs> we've had some amazing times together. And, and I'm really looking forward to uh, many more of these in the future because it's it's the more we come together, and I know we were, were briefly talking about this before we recorded, we're all fighting the same fight, you know, and we're all on the same team. So the more we communicate, the more we share ideas, the more we, you know, even I, sh- I got to get Paul Cosmos on from Varmints, you know, another great guy that we need to talk to. And, and we're all spreading the same message in, in different ways. So, you know, it's, it's good that, to, to come onto your podcast and talk about, you know, wolves today. Um, and then there's going to be another issue in a few months. Hopefully we can, we can tackle together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's just like dive into it. I mean, I live, for those of you who don't know, I live in Idaho, <laughs> like in the Rocky mountains. You so are it, in the heart of it. I yes. am in the heart. Like I am in the heart of, you know, let's smoke a pack a day and let's, you know, I'm, I'm in very anti-wolf territory. You know, I, you know, Chris, you're in California, Angie, you're in Florida, but yeah, this is so controversial across the nation. So I'm, yeah, let's, let's just jump into it. Well, I'm really excited to learn a little bit more about being in the middle of it because I think after looking through a lot of popular press, and of course I do have a ton of research or not a ton, but some, some cool stuff that I found that people may have not thought of or some statistics so people can take those numbers for what they are and digest them. But one thing that really did strike me is being from Michigan originally, lower the lower half of Michigan, and then now in Florida, I don't live in wolf country. We have coyotes and, of course, deer in different hunting seasons uh, where I reside now and where I used to live. But some of these articles did put me in the shoes of people that live in those states and the farmers. And I, I, I think it's just so interesting as far as really trying to put yourself in everybody's shoes. And of course I want to put out there and I I shouldn't speak for my podcast partner, Chris, but we've been doing this so long. I know I can speak for him. We should be for the listener should be forewarned that I am definitely anti wolf hunting but I'm open-minded, right? And as and actually, as more as I read the literature and read some of the studies, uh, it did open my eyes and about the the struggle and it's how complex it is. And I found myself even last night, actually putting myself in the poor DNR and fish and wildlife shoes. Mm-hmm. Those guys are in the middle of 
they're trying, they have to appease everybody. Right. And I made me, I just really felt for them as far as, wow, they have a really tough job. This is really complex. And so, yeah. And I, for me, I just like to open with, uh, thinking more about human wild conflict. And Chris and I talk about it a lot in the Mm -hmm. podcast. I'm sure I know you've talked about it with some of your guests and animals to the max. Uh, but it is interesting that this is so close to home here and it's been, ongoing for many, many years. Yeah, and, and really, really quick, for people who aren't familiar with All Creatures or Chris and Angie, you are both scientists, you are both PhD, so you guys know what you're talking about, and I think the reason why our roundtables have been so popular is that you literally look at the data. Like, the, I mean, you have mm-hmm. the data. And yeah, that, I don't and know, I, right, I don't know if we know exactly what we're talking about, but we know how to interpret <laughs> data. I think that, that I, I interpret data and also interpret uh yeah like some of the biasness that that uh may pull people one way or the other and and that and that is my i of course i have my opinions before i started researching for this podcast and then reading the data neutrally though and seeing if i can shift them and so stay tuned for that on whether how, how much i've shifted and, and and for me the bar did shift a little bit to be completely honest so stay tuned well. Not a lot, but a little. Yeah, and you know, from the the scientist perspective, you know, we, we're 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 trained to be neutral, and when we do research, we go in with a neutral mindset. We should, you know, we should. Doesn't mean it always happens, but we should, you know, when we Num- do our experiments. People, statistics, yeah. people. Yeah, we look at the data, and, and then that class. helps us. I hated uh, statistics. I'm looking uh, at my degree right now because remember last time we last talked, I lost yeah. it or my mom lost it. And yeah. I was like, that yes. class was awful. I mean, dear Lord. <laughs> okay. Sorry, Chris. Stats. I know uh, I'm there with you. I, I took four iterations in college. That was enough uh, to make me throw up. Um, no, I'm just saying that. Yeah. I mean, we come with a neutral mindset, but I know Angie said she's open-minded on hunting wolves. I'll tell you what. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I, you know, and I want Angie to try to change my mind on this podcast because I don't think wolves should be hunted in the lower 48 right now. I th- I'm totally 100% against it. I'm going to take a stand this podcast. I'm doing something different. I normally try to stay open-minded. Um, my, my attitude towards trophy hunting shifted, and that's another podcast for another day because I can see where it is helping wildlife. Uh, in Africa. What? Okay, I know. Hold on. Okay, hold yeah. on. Okay, we're gonna. Okay, next podcast, next roundtable. We have to do that. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I'm just. Yeah, I, know. I think we need to revisit it, and and I think we should invite Ivan Carter, uh, who I interviewed a few weeks ago, and you know with the Cabela Foundation, and and you know this is an anti. And for the record, with that, I I, I am not. And she's on the opposite. <laughs> oh my gosh! I haven't seen the numbers. I haven't seen them. I've heard the talk. I haven't seen the numbers. I'm a numbers lead. So, yes. But wolves. We got to focus on wolves. Okay. So, Chris. <laughs> no, no it's, just... So, it's interesting. It's, we both come with different uh, ideas, but we do need to look at the data. And, we lo- and the data that I'm looking at today is telling me it is wrong to kill wolves. And I want to add, and I'll sprinkle this throughout the podcast, you know, our interview with Greg Rasmussen that aired, by the time this airs, it aired the previous week on the painted dogs in Africa. Very similar sort story than what's going on with the wolves in, in the lower 48 in the United States. Persecuted, shot, killed, and these, and, and I'm gonna dare say it, and we can talk about it, hopefully Angie can talk a little bit about this. I dare say wolves have culture, you know, that we're oh, looking, 
Oh, yeah. I think yeah. so. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So when you start looking at behavior, how intelligent they are, family social structure, that stuff, that's where I just I, I think it's immoral. Absolutely 100 percent immoral to go and kill these animals. It, it's just my opinion today after looking at the data. Right. Well, and I I don't I also believe it's immoral, but I looking at the numbers is where that's yeah. that's what I want to talk about today and oh, we can talk both about morals and and yeah. about the numbers i also want the bigger question and our take-home message for people is i don't think it should be are you for wolf hunting which i'm not like i said but i maybe might be slightly more so than chris depending on the numbers or a hundred thousand percent against it like chris i don't think that should be the question mm-hmm. i think it should be how can humans and wolves better coexist mm-hmm. is that possible And what is working for that? And so throughout the podcast, I'd like to, there's some solutions and uh, people are trying different things. And so that for me would be the long-term goal uh, as far as trying to coexist and reduce some of this human wildlife conflict. Because if we think about it as a model, right, this is a a predator, apex predator. um, And then, of course, you have the prey being the cattle and the sheep, livestock, and people's pets too sometimes, if we could figure out how to coexist better with this animal in certain areas, then we could set examples for other countries that had this issue, like you mentioned with the uh, with the, the painted dogs. And so that's that would be my ideal long-term goal is try to try to work through some of that stuff and see and actually take data on what's working, what isn't working, uh, and go from there and set, set more of an example and, and try to figure out how to coexist better together. Okay. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, let's just, let's start from the beginning. Let's start historically. Let's talk about wolves. Yes. Let's start from mm-hmm. like, yeah, absolutely. Whoever wants to tackle that, but let's just go back in time. What, like a hundred years? Yeah, so you know that's I'm the history nerd, so hopefully this, this isn't lame uh, there, Angie. <laughs> no, I, no, this history was reading like a like a page turner. I'm like, oh, oh my gosh. I know I what know. happened the next yeah. year. What happened? What happened? Yeah. So you give us the quick synopsis, Chris. Yeah, yeah, that, that's going back to the uh, the Zoo Matters uh, podcast. That was pretty funny. But no, it's it's the wolves have been persecuted for a hundred years. I mean, they've been they've been treated as a nuisance species. So they have. They were been, wiped out in the lower 48. Yeah, except parts of Michigan, I think, was, or Minnesota. It was very, very uh, small population in Minnesota, but completely wiped out. Uh, if we're looking at Yellowstone, because I think that's really the hotbed right now, we're near U Corbin, you know, into Idaho and, and Wyoming, Montana area, Washington State, that in Yellowstone, they were eradicated in the 1920s, you know, so it'd been 70 years since they were wiped out. And I think not only, I think for people listening, this, this story about wolves is not just about human wildlife conflict. I think it's critical to understand exactly how predators benefit an ecosystem. That's the message I wanted to paint today, talking about how Yellowstone has changed dramatically in the last 20 years due to wolves being reintroduced. And, and it's all good stuff, good news. So wolves, you know, were were shot and killed and poisoned. Their dens blown up with dynamite. It just horrifically persecuted in the 48 because they killed cattle and people were scared of them. Basically, people were just really scared of them. 
And they didn't come back until the Endangered Species Act was engaged uh, in the 1970s. Now, I have the history of that if you're interested. Heck yeah, <laughs> hit us. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> so I know, and I know this was, you know, kind of the thing I was uh, going to talk about a lot today, too, is how the Endangered Species Act, this current administration is trying to gut, you know, and they're trying to gut it in the interests of forestry, uh, mining, and oil and gas development. Those are the lobbyists that are pushing to get the Endangered Species Act gutted and these protections ripped away for all these animals, which anybody that listens to our podcast, both of ours, knows that we're 100% against that because, yes. you know, not just globally are we seeing a catastrophic effect of what's going on around the world with wildlife in the oceans and on land. Here in our backyard in the United States, same thing's happening. And this is a, a, a wonderful case study to look at it so the Endangered Species Act was was passed by a quote unquote Republican president, Richard Nixon, and and he's the one that in 1972 said, "Hey, we need to protect our our wildlands and our wildlife." You know, he led the effort. So you got you know one of the good things that he did do was get the Endangered Species Act, and so Congress passed it in 1973, and basically said that we have a rich natural heritage. Aesthetic, ecological, educational, recreational, and scientific value to our nation and its people is critically important. So they passed this law to protect all these species, which now wolves are part of that, right? So when wolves had those protections or added to the Endangered Species Act, they started to come back, right? And now they're up to what's the population now, around 5,000 in the lower 48? Well, Chris, they were actually reintroduced, though, to Yellowstone in central Idaho, Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. they they brought some of the Canadian populations down, and that's right. how they've basically. Oh, and then they did it in multiple phases. It wasn't just like one group, but in uh, 1995, 96, they brought 31 gray wolves from Western Canada and relocated them to Yellowstone. And then uh, 97, uh, they translocated 10 wolves from Northwestern Montana to Yellowstone, and so doing some of this shifting and moving of managing these populations to try to, to help bring them back up. Let's so they didn't, they didn't just, oh, go ahead, uh, but the protect, but, but they were able to do that because they knew that once they brought them, well, Yellowstone is obviously federally protected, but uh, that the numbers could then recover mm-hmm. or see if they would recover, which of course uh, the, the population grew and, and that's where it gets, it's always wonky, uh, as far as, well, what is a viable population? And that's something also too, I think is worth discussing. And I don't think there is a right answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and especially when you're talking about an animal that historically before the 18, 1900s, before we wiped them out, as Chris said, because of moving westward and fear and, uh, basically wanting, um, them taking livestock, they, were from Canada, Alaska, Canada, all the way down into Mexico, mm-hmm. all the way east, I believe, as far as Maine. Wow. And so, I mean, they were everywhere, everywhere. They did really great before <laughs> before we came here. And so they theoretically, if left alone, they would they would do great. And so it does blow me away that we with the Endangered Species Act, we brought them from Canada, relocated them to Yellowstone. They did they did good, or I guess too good, some populations. And mm-hmm. that started basically this 
this this this fight, for yeah. lack of better terms, between advocates and then, of course, um, um, pro hunting, pro calling, um, because of the deep deep they call it um, depredation, but basically mm-hmm. the eating of their livestock, killing the livestock. Which I have numbers about that too, because it's yeah. not, it's it's pretty low. <laughs> I mean, uh, I just have had I, I've 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 had a couple of wolf experts on the show. And actually, I had a gal from Maggie mm-hmm. ha- Maggie Howell, who has the best name for a wolf conservation organization. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh that's her legit yeah. last that's name is Maggie Howell. That's the- not like a stage name or no. anything? No. And I've known Maggie awesome. way before social media. <laughs> um, she's the director of the Wolf Conservation Center, and which has a huge Love that presence. Place. Right? So Maggie yes. Howell, she's a super yes. nice gal. But she squashed this rumor, and I just want to—I just want to say because we talked about you know these Canadian wolves. Can we squash a rumor because so many people yeah. think that the Canadian wolf is a separate species that is you know two hundred pounds and they are you are know, wolf giant, aggressive, more aggressive. Yeah. yeah. Can we talk about that because that's what a lot of people are. Yeah. Just just really quick. No, that's good, and and it's you know I, I, so. I mean, Canadians are way nicer. So that's, that's actually <laughs> a, the Canadian that's, that is true. That is not a myth. Well, let me let me. Here's a great article came out two days ago. It was an opinion piece in the Seattle Times, and I think this highlights exactly what the issue is today, in, in my opinion. Unless Angie found some more data, or Corbin, you've you've run across some some different stuff. It, it was a, an opinion piece talking about how these wolves were being killed in Washington. Washington State. Now, nobody can just go out and hunt wolves right now. Wolves are still protected by the EPA. And I do want to go back and say... You mean in, in Washington? Yeah, Washington State. Washington, okay, Washington State. State. Yes, and I think our listeners, maybe before you go into the story, uh, right now, correct me if I'm wrong, anybody, basically, the fights then went back and forth to court as far as in some places would try to get the wolves delisted on certain states like True. Idaho or Montana. Wyoming. And then advocates would come in and they would get delisted temporarily on one judge. And then advocates would come in and sue and get them relisted. It was literally, I mean, it's like relisted, delisted, relisted, delisted. I mean, just, just back kind of this back and forth battle of, taking a little bit of language of the Endangered Species Act, and I'm no lawyer uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but taking some little wording and running with that and saying, well, no, and, you know, you have to look at the the uh, wolf population as a total, not just these sub these subcategories and in, in, in these individual po- populations per state. And so it's just, it's just been back and forth a lot of litigation and i tried to find numbers on how much money is there was uh, it cost a lot of money to of course relocate these wolves because they did it very scientifically and gradually and uh to make sure that they were the population was healthy but since then i i'd be very interested to know how much the little litigation has cost to kind of do this battle back and forth as far as making sure they either stay listed mm-hmm. um or then the other groups trying to delist them it's just to me it's very incredible and it just goes to show what lobbyists you know what how much money they're willing to put into something um and then and then how many people are fighting for the wolves like how much money advocates are putting in for them. i mean they're obviously a very very loved animal they're one of my favorite animals uh and so as it stands uh currently uh gray wolves are delisted in montana idaho and Wyoming, 
And so they can be hunted in Idaho and Montana under state hunting regulations. Uh, Is that correct? Yeah, I, I, I believe so. I don't. <laughs> Chris looking at me like I... <laughs> Carmen, you live there. Are you out there hunting wolves? Uh, no, yeah, there? no, well, they, uh, no, yes, they, yeah, that in Idaho, they do give out, you know, to my, you know, wolf tags and. Okay. Right. It's very, it's very controlled. It's, it's it is, it's but not a lot, but I'll tell you what, and I'm actually happy that you brought this up because, you know, of course I have my own animals at home. I have several snakes and for substrate, you guys are probably like, where is he taking this? Where is he taking this? Um, oh, I'm on board, baby. Just, choo choo. Oh, I want to hear this. Get on board, Angie. It's about time. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> anyway, I use newspaper for the snake for, you know, our large pythons for just substrate because it's just, oh, you have, uh, you know, 11, 12 snakes. It's oh, just... I've I rolled up a lot of uh, snake newspaper after they took one of their enormously not smelling well oh, defecations see right so i was in there cleaning the other day and we get you know tons of newspapers from our local market they just donate a bunch of stuff to us you know just just old newspapers and sure enough picked out i found an old newspaper in front page of this lady holding this bloody wolf that she shot holding it up and smiling the front page of our statesman's here or our, our, our Idaho statesman it was so disgusting i just couldn't even yep. it took me like a second i was like oh my god like how barbaric Yum. i mean just holding it up and of course the camera's angled to make it look just like you know this monster so big yeah Anyway, I was so happy that one of the snakes took like an enormous crap on that uh, a few days later, <laughs> which it's where it should be. But yes, exactly. to answer. I'm right there with you. Uh, I'm yeah, right there and, with you. Idaho and so that's the, right. They're trying to get, I believe it's currently being litigated to try to get them delisted. Like basically they, the, I would say the goal of people that are either pro hunting or pro wolf reduction programs want to instead of the federal government being in charge of them through the Endangered Species Acts, want each state to individually mandate how they mm. care for them, or not care is not the right word, but how how they what they do with their population and how they control them. And so I think currently there's about six thousand wolves oh, and throughout like nine different locations. Right. Uh, as Chris mentioned earlier, of course in the Rockies, but. But then over in California, in California, California, yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. and so Northern California, yep. So that's kind of the bad. That's the battle. And like, and as Chris mentioned too, then this this administration is just they just want, of course, gut everything. And so that's of course adding on the pressure to you know these different state agencies, and then um, and then of course the advocates are hopefully fighting back, and I think they are. And Angie, you you made a good point. You know, and, and we say this in our, our podcast quite a bit. When it's not about the money, it's about the money. It's right? always about the money. Who's 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 fighting to deregulate this? Not just trophy hunters or somebody that wants to go hunt or a poor, you know, people that raise livestock. They, they're not rich by any no, stretch. Most are. of them are very poor. You know, it's a very uh, tight business financially. Most yeah, of them. like one one cow does matter. One yeah. sheep does matter. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, and, and I give that to the ranchers. But who's fighting this, right? What lobbyists, why? That's the big question. Why are they fighting this? And it's not just the, you know, when you look at the Endangered Species Act, it's not just gray wolves. You know, sage grouse, this burrowing beetle they want to get delisted because it's on a bunch of oil lands and stuff in Wyoming. I mean, they are fighting hard to gut the EPA or, well, yeah, the EPA, but also the Endangered Species Act because they want to drill. 
You know, they want to go and make money and that's all they care about. And that that's that's why whenever we point the finger, you know, and I, I, our audience is about 60% from the US and then 40% globally. You know, and and in the United States we tend to like to point the finger to Africa or Asia and say clean up your mess. You know, you're messing up the environment. You're killing tigers. You're killing elephants and rhinos and pangolins and orangutans and, you know, catball langer. You're you're the problem. Well, let's look in our own backyard. And we let's clean up our own mess first. That's that was that's what I'm saying. I feel like if we could figure out this hairy mess, it would be a great success example to, to figure out how to coexist and and you know, obviously for the animals' welfare and for the actual farmers pocketbook because I come from a long line of farmers and hunters and I don't farm or hunt. Obviously I chose a different career path, Uh, but they are some of the biggest conservationists. I mean, they like land. (laughs) They need, you know, they, they, especially hunters, they want animals so they can hunt them. Uh And whether you agree with that or disagree with that, that's, of course, we're not going to change that necessarily. And farmers, too. Farmers care a lot about the land that they either farm animals on or their fruit or their their vegetables. So they're stewards of the land as well. And that's where I feel that we could work together it, because there is this common, this common bond. And that's – but what's probably helping throw a wrench in this or pitting us against each other is, as Chris point pointed out some of the lobbyists mm-hmm. that that take one thing and just run with it and you know that's kind of how this basically our whole country is right now yeah. you're either one way or the other you watch one news outlet or the <laughs> other and things like that so mm-hmm. it's I, I i know that definitely theoretically most farmers don't like wolves killing their um killing their livestock but in the same instance you know, I, I don't I don't know if a farmer would actually go to Capitol Hill to fight. You know, you know, it's yeah. it's, it's uh well let me throw ahead. this in let me throw this in here. And, and Corbin, please jump in. <laughs> oh, I mean <laughs> and, you know, I bounce it back, throw the ball no, back and forth. This is why this is why so, I love these round tables. No, I'm I love I'm soaking yeah. it all in. All right. So here's 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 this article that just came out two days ago that I was talking about, Seattle Times. Oh yeah, Washington State. Okay. Single rancher, one rancher grazing on public lands okay so what a lot of people don't realize is a lot of cattle or not a lot of cattle in the west they like to graze on public lands and and they're allowed to and it costs them about a dollar 35 per month per cow calf right dirt cheap dirt cheap for them to go out and graze on public lands and it costs us as a taxpayer about 120 million dollars per year okay so there's some hard numbers on supporting these ranchers who who honestly do not make a lot of money. Most of them scratch out, eke out a living. Okay. My uncle did it. My family's like Angie said, came from ranchers. I have a deep ag background, you know, did research in cattle and cows until I switched to endangered species, blah, blah, blah. Okay. One rancher who's grazing on public lands in the Colville national forest in Washington state is responsible for having 20 wolves called or killed because since 2012, They've attacked his cattle, have killed some cows or calves, and so the the uh, the national not the Forest Service the with the Fish and Wildlife had to go out and cull twenty wolves, including a pack leader. Okay, uh... plus young wolves, other ones, 
And there's been different packs. This isn't the same wolf pack coming in. As one's killed off or driven off, another one comes in. You know, and they keep coming into this lands because it's optimum wolf territory. So this one rancher, 20 wolves have been killed because of this one rancher's decision to, to graze his cattle there. And in this article, they're arguing, why don't we just move the rancher and his cattle to a different area? Yeah. You know, and it's this is a, a just a, a small microcosm of what's going on out in the West of the United States. And it's I feel for this one rancher who's who's losing money. But on the other hand, you know, we're going to get into the hopefully we get into the Yellowstone, the benefit <laughs> of wolves, things like that. You know, here you have a, a, a key species, part of the food web, part of the ecological balance of the of that area. And because this one person is stubborn or whatever and won't move his cows, you know, you're wiping out a species in an area that that needs them. So this is where I like my heart, not just heartstrings, but, you know, thinking and, and really giving this a lot of thought. You know, we have to change. I'm sorry, this rancher has to change. These people need to change their mindset. We need to learn to how to live in balance with nature or there's not going to be anything left. Like it's just, it's, it's getting, it's getting to a tipping point really. Well, and looking at the numbers, how much livestock do you think wolves consume? Great. I mean, their natural, their natural prey is going to be deer, elk, things like that. Okay. So, but they do take cattle. They do take sheep. What do we think on a percent basis? Okay, I'm going to tell you, I oh, hey percent. I believe that we lose more livestock to disease and more deer and elk to like road collisions from us than wolf fatalities combined. Oh, a thousand times more. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. So it's less than one percent. No, one mm-hmm. less than one percent of mm-hmm. wolf and- livestock. Of that of, of livestock fatalities due to wolves is less than one percent, and the lower for forty eight is what some of the numbers are showing. And so to put that in more perspective, and so in Idaho, from July two thousand seventeen for a year, so July two thousand eighteen, there were about uh, uh, there were one hundred thirteen wolf kills that were confirmed. Now this is overall. For all the cattle in Idaho, which I don't have that number, but it's uh, the ranching industry. It's two. It's a two billion dollar industry, okay, and um, and it makes up twenty percent of your state economy. So, one hundred thirteen wolf kills. Now, they usually, often, it may not be a wolf. It could be a bear. Uh, so that's the thing. Sometimes they're lumped together. So those statistics, it may even be lower than that, if you will. Uh, but they just assume it's a wolf. So, I mean, I I guess, and I know that each cow or each sheep is very important to a farmer. Uh, Mm -hmm. I studied a lot of ag stuff as well as Chris did, but that's where I'm kind of, I just don't think that that's a very high number um, in my opinion. No, it's less than 1%. To take out, right, to take out however many, you know, 20, 30, I don't know how many permits they're allowing um, for wolf hunting in the state of Idaho, but you know, I would have to presume it's, it's, you know, 20, 30, 40, something. I don't know the number, but I, I just, it just, it doesn't quite equate. And, mm-hmm. um, and so that's what I find really interesting and, in, and in that there just couldn't be a, a simpler solution, maybe like, um, 
people have talked about in other countries. And I think in, in Minnesota, they tried it. I don't, I think, I don't know how it worked, but in Minnesota, they are paying for, if you, you know, if you're a farmer mm-hmm. and a wolf kills your, your livestock, we will reimburse you. Yeah. So That's... that would be a solution theoretically, in my opinion, as far as, you know, some kind of reimbursement program or subsidy, right? There's a lot of different farmers, corn farmers, wheat farmers, things like that, soybean farmers that get subsidized from the federal government. So I would have no problem giving ranchers that if they were losing animals and um, on the account uh, versus like hunting them. So you know, it's just not, it's just not a, they don't, they don't prefer, uh, they're not, they don't prefer cattle. Um, so. No, and uh, just to jump in there, mm-hmm. Greg Rasmussen, when he was doing his work in Zimbabwe with the African painted dogs, they, it's very similar, less than 1% of the cattle or livestock were being killed by painted dogs, but they were targeted, persecuted, and wiped, almost wiped out, nearly wiped out to extinction, you know, down to, what, 200 animals in Zimbabwe? And now he's got them, through his efforts the last 30 years, they're up to 900 to 1,000 just in Zimbabwe. You know, educating people, the, the reimbursement m- model works around the world. We know, like in, say, Nepal with snow leopards, mm. others, other animals throughout the world that they, they help reimburse the populace. And I really would love to pick Angie's brain on some of the behavior, but, and I don't know if it's a good time to jump this study in or not, talking about the tiger benefits of tigers in India. Heck yeah. Let's talk like, for tourism. Is that where you're going to lead on to? Well, no. so in our, if Angie remembers this study I brought up in our tiger oh, I episode, mm-hmm. I think it was in tigers part two because, you know, they're amazing animal and they're, they're in, dire straits uh, throughout the world. So there's a study out of India, or it was Bhutan, actually. So there we go. We just talked talking this week. And the study looked at the benefits of tigers to farmers. So this is something Angie's talking about farmers, and I'm listening, and I'm thinking of this study. So tigers were demonized. They were taking livestock. They were the enemy, number one. So they drove them out, right? Well, when they did that, smaller predators would come in, and pick off livestock. So the dole, right, the, 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 the wild dogs there, and then leopards would come in and, and prey on livestock. Well, when they brought the tigers back in, that pushed in the areas, that pushed the dole and leopards way out deeper into They were the- like, uh-uh, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go back up the mountain. See Thank ya. you very much. <laughs> yeah, right. Don't blame them. But the benefit was tigers rarely took a cow or some other livestock. And the doles and the leopards went to areas where there was farms, okay, growing crops. And that benefit was it drove out herbivores. So, So where I'm going with this is, yeah, wolves, okay, may pick off a cow every now and then or a calf every now and then. But they are keeping herbivores in check. They are keeping elk populations in check, deer populations in check, which may in turn be out grazing on some other farmer's land that's, that is causing them an economic loss, right? So why are we you know, highlighting cattle as, oh my God, it, we're going to not have any steaks for dinner, which I think we need to eat less meat anyways. That's definitely... Proven. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> why are they why are they the front of it? I mean, even this quote, this quote just really 
I really, uh, I wish I was still in academia and I could talk to these people. But the National Cattlemen's Board, let me pull this quote up, and they they are ones behind the delisting. They said it's about time that the, uh, let me see right here, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, this is a New York Times article that came out in June this year, applauded the plan for delisting and said it should have happened sooner. And in a joint statement, Jennifer Houston, president of the group, and Bob Skinner, president of the Public Lands Councils, contend that the Endangered Species Act rarely functions as Congress intends. So they're they're the ones fighting. This is ridiculous. I'm like, why are you pushing for delisting of species? You know, just to, uh, anyways, like I said, I'm 100% against killing wolves right now. I'm 100% against it. Yeah, I mean... But Chris, you brought up some some really good points as far as um, you know if if there are other apex carnivores around, they might scare off you know the, the smaller ones. And so I wanted to ask the question though, because it's so prevalent here, and I don't know if it's our, our cult it's probably a cultural thing, but is it really effective to hunt them? Is that? does that really basically reduce the cattle kill? So oh. you, you're, you're going out, you're going, you know, you've got this problem, you get your permit, you take out 20 wolves. Did that, like, did that fix that guy's problem in the state of Washington? No, it just increased. Yes. In a study, interesting, fascinating. This, this like blew me out of the water. I'm like, holy, put your seatbelt down folks. Uh, but yeah, a study, I think it was out of 2014 out of plus one, showed or is starting to look at one of the first ones to report that actually taking out the more the more wolves you hunt or kill, the more livestock um, predation uh, increases. And... It doesn't make any sense, right? That's the logic. Mm-hmm. Like you get rid of wolves, and then that one less than one percent should go down even further. But they saw an increase uh, of five. I think it was five percent one year, and then six percent after taking these, you know, these wolves out. And so, of course, scientists, ask, well, why? And they're trying to figure out why, and they don't. They don't know the answer, and so it needs to be investigated further and in, in other populations. Um, well. Angie, that's just to butt in just because I was reading like Please some do. research and, and, and an author that covered this. And it's because when you take out the alpha, or I guess they're trying to switch away from alpha, but the, mm-hmm. those main, you know, the, the, those leaders of the pack, then you're going to get, you know, ones that are without, you know, their social families and, you know, structures and wolves are social creatures and they're lost. And you get these young ones picking off the easiest food. And I'll tell you what, a chicken in a farm would be a lot easier than trying to run down a deer, you know, by yourself. And if you don't have a pack, I mean, livestock would be a lot easier to take down and mm-hmm. I, I you know then they become problem animals so that's from what yeah I've heard. yeah that's well that's exactly what the researchers hypothesize right that yeah you yeah. take out especially if you take out um one of, one of the more the dominant animals or the leaders yeah. of the family that um that they then they have to disperse out and then they start basically creating more little sub packs that don't maybe have as you know that don't have as much experience or mm-hmm. things like that or the the older figures to keep them in check uh so, yeah, and I just – that's why I love science because it's like, wow, like that may not even – if you – that may not even – if your ultimate goal is really to reduce livestock kills, that 
hunting them may not be the best solution. That may not actually get you what you want. Nope. But I came across another fascinating article. Uh, and uh, this is out of um, oh, Conservation Biology. It's a little bit dated. Uh, it's to 2003 or four. Uh, but they did more of like a survey type thing. And it was out of Wisconsin. And they talked to people there about this whole payment system like well if we if you're if, if a wolf takes one of your livestock we'll give you compensation for it and so after this program i guess was running for a little bit they talked to the people and even though the farmers would receive a compensation for any loss it still didn't change their mind about wolves basically being bad and wanting them to be like hunted yeah and it goes on what I think one of you guys mentioned earlier about this deep-seated either fear or, I don't know, machismo dominance or wanting, like you said, the, the woman that had the picture of the big wolf and holding it out type. And so I don't, you know, and obviously we know we're America. We love guns and things like that. So I don't know if it's something to do with that. But I just thought that that was super fascinating and that's just in this little population in wisconsin i don't i don't want to speak in a, and that's probably not everybody in wisconsin and that's probably not obviously everybody that's affected by uh wolf predation either from their pet perspective or from a livestock but that's just goes to show me of how deep-seated some of these uh of how much we would really it's have to change like it's easy to say like let's not hunt wolves but after and that's one of the things that uh helped I suppose, uh, change my, not, not change my mind, but that, that, oh, that shifted me a little bit of like, holy cow, it, this is super complex. No, I mean, it, it's super complex and it's super, and, and it's, it's uh, probably some cultural things going on. Uh, so it, 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 I mean, it is, it, it is, mm -hmm. it is, it is a deep seated fear of, you know, popular culture for how many years, you know? Well, and, and, and also too, to speak, um, for, for those, um, from a hunting perspective of not necessarily people that want to hunt wolves, um, but from people that are interested in hunting elk yeah. and, and other large hoof stock, which breaks my little heart too. I don't like that either. And I, like I said, I wouldn't choose to do that, but I think there's also some, some, I, some concern that, well, the more wolves there are, the less elk there will be. And let me jump in because another study that was just published, uh, I think out of Oregon State, looked at elk populations and what was reducing them the most. And it was actually cougars, not wolves. People oh, right. wolves. Really? Yeah, mm -hmm. It was cougars that, that actually prey more on elk than wolves. Yeah, that's so. what I learned. I learned that, yeah. Through all this I research, is that, that. Of, okay. of course, of course, wolves do help control the elk population more so when they're not there, and that's what Chris will jump into when he gets to the ecosystem recovery stuff. That's pretty gnarly. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's not. It, I don't. It's not as dramatic, I suppose, as you would think. And they're not the only. They're not the only ones taking. You know, taking the elk, and mm -hmm. but. Perhaps from a hunter's perspective, or some of these towns in Montana, on Montana, I guess we're, you know, having some of these elk hunting mm -hmm. festival kind of sort of deals. It would bring in a lot of money, right. and so they want the elk populations 
to to come roaring back the way they were in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, right, and uh, 90s. So, mm-hmm. you know, I I can kind of see it from their point of view, but the numbers don't really the numbers don't really support, as Chris mentioned, that that the elk numbers are being completely depleted. Okay, so really, and quick, definitely though, not. By- we need to get everyone's stance on hunting, you know, game like deer and elk. For me, and I've said this publicly, I'm not against it. I personally don't hunt, but I think if it's done sustainably and I, and I believe it's, I, I, I believe it's healthier than all the, a lot of the factory farm, you know, animals and, you know, those animals have a better life. And if you're able to feed your family and you're eating it, I totally get it. I don't do it, but I'm not anti where do both of you stand? Because we have hunters probably listening to this thinking, man, these three are just complete tree huggers. I'm just going to turn <laughs> no, this crap no, off. No, <laughs> so, no, no, well, no. So my answer is super easy. Corbin and I am exactly the same. Oh, oh so wow. I grew up I grew up eating venison I, chili from my grandpa. And um, so, yes, and in Michigan, we have a very huge deer population. And it's unhealthy at, at some points, not only for what they forage on, but just for their own selves from like contagious diseases and things like that. And so, uh, yeah, no, 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 definitely. I'm definitely not anti hunting if, but I'm all about populations and I'm all about very rigid control over it and, um, and population monitoring. Should something happen to whitetail deer in Michigan and there was their numbers plummeted, then I think there should be some time where we don't hunt them. So, so it no, sounds I, like we're on the same page with that. Yeah, and, and I personally don't hunt. I've had venison before, venison steak, sausage, everything. I uh, very similar to what both of you are saying. I think the reason we need hunting of non-predators is because we've knocked out the predator population. So there is no control in place except us. We're the top predator now. You know, I've knock on wood, I've ran over, you know, a deer hit my car or I hit the deer way back in Texas. And, and, you know, when I was in grad school, I mean, the, the population needs to be controlled because we've taken out the predators, you know? So, so, and from that standpoint, yes, trophy hunting, um, definitely we need to revisit that one. Please. Um, my, my attitude about it is evolving. I think, you know, where we did a year ago, I was 100% against it because the data didn't show me where it was benefiting conservation. Now I'm learning of places where it actually is benefiting conservation. So Angie and I go back and forth. We've been talking about this for the last three months. It's, 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 and we'll revisit it. I think it's crap, Chris. (laughs) No, I I think it's crap, Chris. Serious numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 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 We will. That's why, that's why, yeah, that's why we try to keep an open mind. And so. And I'm, I'm evolving. I'm evolving because I, I, yeah, I guess I hadn't really thought about like, I mean, I'm obviously anti predator hunting i don't support it i i I don't you know encourage it uh but uh, that's kind of my question though and i'm not an ecologist or anything like that what is a good number like could we ever get to a point like coyotes coyotes now they're not a top predator but they are definitely a you know a, a a predator and boy, they seem to be doing okay. And they're hunted in a lot of different states. And in, of course, a very small window. 
I wouldn't do it. I don't like it uh, for me. Uh, but I also, I mean, so I, I guess I, my dream would be if, if, wolf, if the wolf population could do that, I, I mean, then maybe, then maybe it would be okay from that. Cause that's, I, I guess it's hard to, so why is it okay to, to hunt? I, I still, I don't, I and don't. It's not, I mean, I don't like it and I don't, yeah. I wouldn't do it. Um, I think there's many other ways to control coyotes potentially. Yeah. Um, but so, I, I, so that's, I'm just, I don't, for, I don't think 6,000 total wolves in the lower 48 is enough to start hunting them no, anywhere. I agree with you. That's why I'm hundred percent against it right but now. But I, but I also don't know enough about the data to know how many wolves, um, are sustainable, are sustainable in what, in what has been shown in a couple states where they were delisted, whether it was temporarily why stuff was in court and then they got relisted. Like I said, it's a mm-hmm. individual, it's, it's. It, it could be a uh, four. It could be one of those documentaries, like those mini series, yeah. <laughs> as far mm-hmm. as like what's going on. Uh, but I, uh, you know, what they showed is that when they were, were delisted, obviously the numbers increased. But what, even with the moderate amount of hunting that they did or calling, sometimes it's not. Just, it's not all hunters. Mind you, folks, there are federal programs where they fly helicopters. Oh, it's really sweet. Yeah, they find the packs and they the take helicopters them out. And yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. So that's God. not that's not your that's uh, not my grandpa hunting. That's that's like a yeah. you know that's so. Anyways, but the numbers still did okay. I mean, they still were whatever. Yeah, I don't know. If, like I said, I don't. I'm not looking at the data right in front of me because I'm on slide 17 and I don't know what number this is on. <laughs> <laughs> I've got like 25. No, uh, but. It was, you know, whatever. They started out with a population of 400. They allowed open season hunting for a couple, you know, for a certain tag number for a certain amount of years. And when they look back at the population, it was still like right around whatever. Um, this, where, you know, not exactly where it had started. But, well, can you I, know. I think oh, we should, ahead. one thing we should talk about before I, because I, I have the data on Yellowstone and I think that's my, that is my capstone on this whole podcast why we should hunt wolves right but let's look at from the the moral standpoint and from the animal science side or the animal behavior or uh, wildlife side as far as when you go start shooting wolves how that affects let's talk about their their culture dare we say culture and yes we we talk about that in in orcas part two you know another species we covered and angie and i introduced that because they're just so complex social behaviors and family groups, right? So, so listening to Greg talk about painted dogs, and he tells this beautiful story at the beginning of the podcast about uh, Circus and Olna. Circus, Circus was the pack leader. Olna was his brother, was a subordinate in, in the pack. The pack got into a scrap with a bunch of lions. And Greg pulled up in the morning. Olna looked half dead. You know, called out a vet. You know, make the story short as I can. Called out a vet. Vet said he, that there's nothing I can do for that dog. That dog's dead. And Greg's like, "There's only 200 of these things left. Can't we do anything about this?" No. So they don't do anything. So night comes. Greg goes the next day. Sees drag marks. Figured hyenas got him. You know, hyenas got Olna. So later he tells the story. He's out. And he noticed Circus kept going to this one part of the den or whatever. Comes to find out it was Olna. They had dragged 
him back to the den and for three months fed Olna, would no. bring food back and drop it at his feet. And then after three months, Olna got back up and joined the pack. That story alone sends chills down my back about how wow. these animals behave, their intelligence, and their social structure. Then he describes, and this is very similar to wolves. Wolves are very similar. We haven't covered gray wolves yet. We covered red wolves, but we will cover gray wolves here soon. Very similar. You, you said alpha, you know, getting away from that. But but the, the alphas, the, the top male, top female, they're not brutal in their family structure. That's not how they maintain their top status. They just are. They're the most intelligent, the healthiest, the biggest, you know, and 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 they just are. They The whole pack looks up to them, you know, for leadership. So when you go and start hunting these animals and you take out that alpha, you know, or either the female or the male, you just decimated that family. And by the way, not only talking, those are the only two breeding pair. The rest of them don't breed. So when you're talking about recovery of a species and you're taking out the top painted dog or the top wolf, you just decimated that family. And like you said, then the younger ones take over. They don't understand. Okay, Chris, you win. You win. <laughs> you definitely win. I mean, and, and well, let's think about how wolves, ba- I mean, there's theories out there that wolves domesticated themselves. That's how smart they are. They're like, mm-hmm. hey. I think I want to come live with you people. You got some nice garbage and some nice food. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, hands down, they're incredibly intelligent. And, I mean, I think, you know, you. I definitely agree with that there. I just, you know, it's, it's I don't, just so, I don't, it seems so clear to me, but I, I, it's, I don't know how, I, I even with education about culture and, and things like that. I don't know how. I don't know how we're going to change a you, lot of people. You minds. know. You know what I don't get though. A lot of these hunters or whatever who are going out and trying to get these tags. I bet. I would bet my bottom dollar 90, 90 percent of them have their own dogs at home. So yeah, and, I know. And we're so passionate about pets in our society, mm-hmm. especially in in the U.S. They are. We spend billions of dollars on mm-hmm. our pets every year. Yeah, and just the sh- it it just bl- I just can't even it just it blows my mind that we're well, able to separate that. Use, yeah, they use dogs to yeah they use dogs to to uh, you know hunt foxes them. or use, hunt wolves. Yeah, yeah, they use dogs to for the for them. the wolves too. I didn't know they used dogs I to think hunt so. the wolves. Yeah, not I everybody, cooters, but I th- and I, knew- but I I think or, or or maybe not for them, but I know there are some statistics about uh, wolves killing hunting dogs. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's their using them as hunting dogs or yeah. if it's just their hunting dogs on their property for quail hunting. I'm not sure, yeah. but those are obviously very um, important, you know, important animals, expensive animals, things like that. So, so yeah, for me, the, it's I, but I, I feel you. I, I it doesn't, it yeah. doesn't, regi- it doesn't yeah. register with me either yeah. at all. Um, yeah. Sorry, but and, that's some, that's some of the psychology and that's where and that that's why I'm pushing coexistence. I mean obviously you guys are pushing coexistence too. Um and I, and I don't know you know exactly obviously or what or what that looks like but I I, I just don't know. We're going to have to come together somehow. And I and I guess uh cuz all, all this money all of this money going in like to to litigation and this is just my own opinion. Um, of course, I'm on my high horse for a second. Mm-hmm. I am very appreciative for what all the wolf advocate groups have done to 
to kind of fight the delisting, um, as 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 Chris mentioned, and now especially because of our current administration, thou who shall not be named. Um, but gosh, golly gee darn it, what if all that money could actually be used on species conservation instead of mm-hmm. like litigation mm-hmm. and that kind of thing, you know? And it's that's where some it's like we're all all of us conservationists are like fighting or not fighting, but it's like we all want the same things. And gosh, if the money could just be actually, you know, better either grouped or managed yeah. to, to instead of, you know, some of these litigation battles, just, it's just, um, it's important and thank God they're, thank God they're doing it. Right. Um, but in the same instance, it just is like, wow, that's, that's crazy, man. And yeah, then, and then, and, and, I guess not just to throw this out there, I've got to give my BFF, my black footed ferret plug, you mm-hmm. know, what about these other critically endangered animals? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I, that's a lot of, you know, I, that's a lot of money that be, could be going to in black footed ferrets, the restoration program that's happening with the federal government out in Colorado. I mean, it's incredible. They're doing great. Um, but they need more help too. Yeah. So shoot, you know, I guess some of this back and forth, to me seems like somewhat of a, of a, I don't, it's not a waste of money. I just feel like resources could be so, could be used so much better. Yeah, it's a waste and, of money. And, if, and for me, if that, meant, money. I'll say right, if that meant allowing, <laughs> you know, 10 tags per season, so we don't have to fight about this anymore. I'm not saying that's the answer because I want to know what the, like what a sustainable population is. And I would want to know, I would want, I don't, a beha- I'd want the postdoc job to figure out how, what happens with the dynamic kin if you do take out an alpha or a female like can they recover what happens to their culture i would want to know all of those answers because chris brought up some amazing points uh but in the same instance wolves are incredibly intelligent so you know maybe they could survive it and if maybe you know maybe that would have to if if that if that was a way to, to coexist or to help some other funds go to some other animals that critically need it. I, I don't know. I don't think you're ever going to find, uh, make everyone happy with a common ground. I really don't. Correct. I don't yeah, even, I I, even if you give like 10 tags out or this or that, you'll never make anyway. That's just what I feel, but. No, no I mean, and I think that I, I agree. I mean, after reading this data and seeing and and like I said, I, at one point in time, I even put myself on and, and, and some of these state agencies shoes. I'm like, gosh, these, they must right now, they must not have, cause they all loved animals when they got in the job, whether you're like mm-hmm. DNR or fish yeah. and wildlife, like you're obviously an animal lover, you're a science lover. Uh, oh, man, I'm like, geez, that is not, they are getting the short end of the stick, man. They, yeah. they, it's it, that does not seem like a fun a fun place to be right now. Um, and of course, it, it would be great too to ex, uh, interview some experts there. The some of the wildlife biologists that actually you know, study these things. But I do think there's some solutions, and it's been talked about having them perhaps be managed by the state level. Uh, yeah. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's appropriate or not. I, I um, because they cross state lines, and it's you know just every state so messy. D- States are so messy to begin with, like depending on if you live in Cal, obviously it's much different regulation if you live in California versus Texas. And so there are some solutions that have been tried and or talked about. And I think a lot of them have been somewhat based around science. And that's 
there. But of course, funding has been cut there as well. So it's not a great time uh, in science if you're a scientist. But I love science-based solutions. And so I think a big key, no matter what, is to keep monitoring their populations and trying to understand their dynamics and their movement, their behavior, and what their numbers look like and how they grow, whether they're left alone. Um, and obviously, oh my God, of course they're federally regulated if I think in any state or they're state regulated if they are in any, any, any place where they are doing these, these hunting things. Um, but there should hands down be monetary aid, whether that's federal or state. Once again, that's how Corbin, as you mentioned, it's so messy. Like if it goes state by state, it's just, eh. so I like the idea of a federal mandate for ranchers who lose livestock period. Um, and maybe even, you know what, I don't know what the Wisconsin study was giving them. Maybe you double it or maybe you triple it and then mm. maybe they'll be happy about it. Right. You're going to have all those cheese loving people after you, the governments and everything. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. And so, you know, I think that those are some immediate things that we can do to help with this, you know, to help understand if that, that a make the farmers feel better and get some money for it. And, then also learn more about them and see what the numbers are and see what they're really doing. And some solution, there's other like more I don't know, modern solutions that they actually tried. I think it's in, um, is it in Idaho. Yeah. And so sheep of course is an issue too. So when I, we've talked a lot about cattle, but say they do sometimes take sheeps. And so, um, there is a, a sheep farmer out of Idaho that has like 30,000 sheep. It's a lot of sheep. Wow. Uh, but they've been, they've been working on actually, I don't know if they're doing it through GPS or through tags uh, or tagging them or how, how it's, or collars, excuse me, collars, but they're monitoring, monitoring the wolves um, to see, like, to understand more of how to get the sheep away from them. Like, let's not let our sheep grave, uh, graze where the wolves are denning, right? That's a that's a common sense solution, right? Yeah. And then they also, uh, this farmer also uses guard dogs, and then they have flashing bright lights uh, at nighttime to scare off wolves. Um, and then sometimes they'll string wire with small strips of fabric around the flock at nighttime to basically, you know, help scare them off at nighttime. And then they, they hire more people to help basically herd the sheep. So we know wolves don't aren't trying to be up near people, right? So mm -hmm. uh, there's some jobs, right? There's some more economy, like give more people jobs. And so, and you know, and it, and it, and this is of course just one operation in Idaho, um, but it seems to be working for them. And so, on, could that work on a larger scale? Those are things that need to be investigated by I don't know whether it's by the state or by federal governments or whatever. But I think that there are solutions to try that people are just aren't trying because it's, I guess they just want to, you know, they think it's, they think it's easier or better to hunt them. But as Chris mentioned, and I mentioned that the data is not always there. Hunting doesn't necessarily actually help reduce the number of livestock that are um, taken by, uh, that are uh, taken. And then, it, and then it's a slippery slope because mm -hmm. of this endangered species act, or basically because people are monitoring the populations. So if you take out, a whole bunch of wolves, then they basically get relisted and then you can't hunt any of them. 
Mm-hmm. And if you take out just a few, then you're still not getting the, you know, you're not getting the benefits of reducing the livestock. So that's why to me, my somewhat my final answer is just looking at the numbers. I don't think that hunting them is the answer or a no. good solution. No. I think there's a lot more alternatives to try um, to before that's the, that being the catch all. Oh, there's too many of them or oh, they're killing livestock. So let's, let's hunt them. Uh, I, I just don't think, I, I don't think the data is there to support that being the best solution for their, for their welfare, as Chris mentioned, since they are such a, um, um, an intelligent and animal with all these, these, these pair bonds and things like that. So yeah. let's talk about, and I know Chris is dying over here. I can't believe we're over an hour <laughs> in. We haven't even mentioned Yellowstone. <laughs> I can't even. I know. Yeah, it's, I'm like, that. Well, it's, it's like the well, whole part of the podcast. <laughs> we don't need to mention it. 35 million or more. I, I haven't checked YouTube lately. A millions and tens of millions of people have watched the oh, video about. Yep. We all watched it. I mean, we're nature lovers, so of course we did. Maybe some people didn't watch it. On YouTube, I think it was by BBC, mm-hmm. National Ge- BBC, about what happened when wolves came back to Yellowstone. Right, like, and it's ecosystem. You know, and I just want to say, like people that that haven't consistently listened to our podcast, you know, Angie and I are coming. We started this almost. Yeah, you know, we're, we're coming on two years now, Ooh. both of us. Yep. And you've learned and, a lot about soils and grasses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how animals are so important for it. Right. And we've covered over 80 species. We've interviewed close to 40 experts, you know, reaching 50 experts from around the world. We have a global view now of what's going on in our oceans, what's going on in, on every continent. We've covered from the Arctic to Antarctic, all in between. And it's bad. It's bad. The news is not good, but, you know, we try to keep positive about it, give tips on how you can help and how species are surviving. And there's so many people out there and you've interviewed a ton of them, Corbin, you know, and you're nine, what are you up to 90 episodes now? Yeah. 80, 90 episodes. Yeah. yeah. So you've interviewed a bunch too. And so, you know, you have a really good perspective on what's going on around the, the earth and it's not good. So when I look at taking out a top predator and its effects, you know, downstream, not just on that animal alone, you're looking at all the way down, you know, into the microbes of the soil and the birds in the air, it affects everything, everything. And that's why I'm fully against it right now. I, I do not think we have a sustainable population. I just don't. And I think we need to to really study this more before we just start shooting wolves left and right because we don't like them or certain people don't like them. So the best data we have, and I think this, this data we've talked about for two years now is jaw-dropping, jaw-dropping the effects of wolves and the ecosystem. And, and I think that's what we're talking about. So this was a study by uh, Beshta and, and Ripple. This was the Oregon State one. The other one I talked about was actually Utah State. So this came out in 2016, just a couple years ago. And they were looking at the riparian vegetation recovery in Yellowstone. And basically the history of Yellowstone, once wolves were driven out, okay, 70 years ago, so we're looking at, you know, 1920s. They, they were driven out until they were reintroduced in 1995 and 1996. The elk populations just boomed, boomed, went up, you know, uh, nearing 20,000 elk. Now, they did have a culling in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. They would cull about 5,000 elk a year to try to maintain those populations, but they, they gave up in the 60s. So 
from the 60, 1960s to the 1990s, elk boomed to about 20,000 uh, population in Yellowstone, this part of Yellowstone. The effects were the grazing was horrific on vegetation, changed streams, how rivers ran through Yellowstone completely changed because all of a sudden you didn't have the trees and all the plants to help. Beavers. And the beavers, beavers went away. We love beavers, beavers went away. Yep, yeah, beavers went away. And that, and that's just one species. There's many species. Amphibians. Insects. Yeah, amphibians. Yep, reptiles. Yep. All of these animals Birds. that de- that depended on this ecosystem were affected. But elk were doing great. They were happy. And and probably not because they were starving. You know, there wasn't enough to sustain them. When wolves were reintroduced in the 1990s, elk population started to plummet. And today there's about 5,000 elk that's about their sustainable level. Okay. The re- now, there was two competing theories on the vegetation recovery. So the bottom line is the vegetation completely recovered the ecosystem started coming back. Well, Beep. by vegetation, I mean tree, trees, like large. Aspen, Aspen. Uh, willow, willows, willow. Yeah, willow. willow, all these trees started we coming need, back. We obviously need more trees. That right. is clear. Yeah. Yes. So the two competing theories were it, it was either the top-down approach where it was the wolves causing this or some people said, no, 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 it's the bottom-up where it was climate change. Well, this study looked at that and said, nope, they threw climate change out the window. There's no data to support that climate change was promoting the recovery. It was, it was definitely the wolves that came in, drove the elk away, changed their grazing patterns, reduced their population. So now the willows, the ash, all these tree types are coming back. They're growing. Beavers are returning. And so all these other species are returning because of the wolves. And... The bottom line is, in this study, it, it shows clearly the benefits of having a top predator in an ecosystem. And so this is just Yellowstone. So let's take it to Idaho. Let's take it to California, Washington, Oregon, all of these states in the western United States. These animals are critical to keeping elk in check, deer in check, and keeping a healthy ecosystem. And we are fighting so many battles right now. Not just with you know politics, but with climate change and all the things that are going on around the earth. When these ecosystems start collapsing, it will affect us, period. End of story. David Attenborough was out there. I think that's his swan song. That's the that's the legacy he wants to leave behind with his series that he that he's doing on Netflix. You know, if if the animals don't survive, if these ecosystems don't survive, will humans survive? And I can argue, no, we won't. We won't. No. Something will. The cockroaches, cockroaches will survive, right? I don't know, but <laughs> they will know. survive. What, yeah, I know. What about the people though who say, you know what, we were fine without wolves for seventy years, and you know what about the people who say, you know, we can, can we can manage them, like we can hunt them. Why do we need wolves? Like we can fill that void. It's when you're, which was fine, right, for seventy years, okay, in Yellowstone. Well, we and think we, it and, was. We thought we. Yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah, think it was, it was fine, but. But it clearly, wasn't. from an ecosystem, from a soil up to vegetation or waterway, amphibians, things that aren't super big and massive and easy to see and grab a hold of, all those small things that we weren't we weren't really looking. No, never we weren't. Notices, yeah. There's no there's no pre data. There's no because there's no control to compare it to, and so that's the thing is we we now know what they can add and. 
and the other thing too is like okay yeah we we can we can hunt them but it's still there's uh, there's not enough data to to know how much I mean, how do we mimic what a wolf would or wouldn't do? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it, that to me is that well, and, and argument has a lot of fault in it. It does. And because the, we're not it, this isn't tomorrow. OK, and I'm not being alarmist. and It's not my lifetime. You know, the ecosystem isn't going to collapse in my lifetime. The ocean might. We're almost there. I mean, in some parts, the ocean might. But we're talking two, three, four, five hundred years down the road. OK, we're talking many generations later seeing these massive impacts with extinction. You know, Angie and I, we talk, every species we talk about, we say, why do we care? Well, we're talking about plant, you know, the cassowary, plant seed dispersal in, in northern Queensland, okay? They were almost wiped out. These trees were going extinct. Um, the dodo, there's oh. trees going extinct on that island. I think, I don't know if you brought it up or somebody brought it up because, that oh, was an interview we did, because the dodo's extinct, now these trees are going extinct yeah, because, because the dodo be- was critical. Yeah. yeah God. So we don't we can't see the effects tomorrow or today. We'll see it in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road. So for those folks that say, oh, you know, we're doing just fine. No, we're not. We're not doing just fine. Across the globe, we're doing horribly. Hor- right. And we're losing. We're losing. We are losing. I- but that's why... We're fighting. Okay, that's really, why we're doing what we do. Really yeah. quick, that's why I, I I actually love your show because when you do start off, it's like why do we care? And it took me yeah. a while in my young self to understand like because how important that is. Like why like we have to make it beneficial to us humans. Let's talk really quick because last I checked, you know, I was talking to Maggie Halligan. She was saying yeah. that in Yellowstone. They did. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Um, my friend Casey Anderson, who's a naturalist, he has a show on Nat Geo and he does predators and wolves and grizzly bears. But he said each wolf was estimated to be around like for tourism over 30 million dollars. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. I didn't what? I didn't know. I was and, looking for stats on that. I guess yes. God knows somebody. <laughs> and he was no, no, no. And he was actually That's incredible. With, and it's his friend. And it's a gal who studied it. And it was just it blew my mind. Like, OK, like, so why do we care? Well, your favorite saying or your dad's favorite saying, if it's not about the money, it's about the money. That's a lot of mm-hmm. money. Absolutely. And I think that you could even do more with that. I mean, especially right. now with technology or, I, I mean, you could you could basically have Meerkat Manor but for a wild pack of wolves. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, I mean, somebody steal that idea and go make a lot of money. Take it. I don't have time. I'm too busy. <laughs> We're too busy so, volunteering You know what time. I mean? Like people, <laughs> yeah, I mean, people... 30. And we're still learning about them, right? Yeah. As far as their family dynamics and things like that. And so, I, they, you know, there are people do get are fearful of them, but they capture imaginations. And I think the yeah. more that we got to know them, the more we'd understand just how intelligent they are. And they are obviously our furry brother. You have a Chihuahua or a Great Dane, like that's their cousin, man. Yeah. And so, you, uh, yeah, I don't. I think the more we learn about, them, maybe more we could see that, see more of that than than just they, them taking yeah. livestock or uh-huh and i should actually have casey send me that study because his friend who did it she did it he were talking about just the effects of tourism and how they you know you ask anyone who goes to yellowstone they're gonna want to see what wolf bear i mean think about it like and so it's so bison, essential yeah. bison but i mean you know yeah elk yeah deer, but they, oh it's key it's a yeah, lot I mean, of money they're worth they're worth, I hate to look at it like this, but they're worth more alive 
if you look at it from a monetary standpoint. Which oh, yeah. sounds disgusting because I don't like to look like that, but it's yeah. right. No, but it, and that's and that's and that goes to show too is like wow. I mean, why would lobbyists be going, you know, against them and trying to get them delisted and things like that? But obviously, there's something as Chris mentioned earlier. Most that's worth more money potentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Which why would you spend millions of dollars in legal fees, you know, to, to, to protect a rancher that loses a thousand dollar cow? No, you're you're spending those legal fees because you know there's something in the ground you want, you know, or things like that. Like I mined gold with my dad throughout my childhood in Northern California. You can't do that anymore because it's devastating the river ecosystem, you know. And I'm okay with that, you know. I, it was pretty bad what we did, you know, uh, tearing up the soil looking for gold. So, oh God, I did that too. Now you're making me. Yeah, but, but I did it with like one of those cheap. Did you do it like how the I did plastic it? with the screen? I never found squat. Oh, I mean, I did oh, it for we like found gold all the time. You did? Yeah, we, oh yeah, that was his summer hobby. He was a high school teacher. Oh cool. So, all right. but yeah, you know, it's you. There's there's got to be a shift in consciousness. There has to be a shift in behavior. There has to be a shift, not just in the United States, but in Canada, Mexico down through South America, over to Australia, all the way throughout the world, we have to get along with these animals because and we have to protect our wild spaces and what's left. Because, you know, once we lose all that, the earth is never going to be the same. Some things will survive. I don't know if we, as humans, will survive if we completely wipe it all out. I just don't, I just don't see it. I don't see it, you know. I don't well, see that's how- the thing, too. I think this is a... Although, it's, like I said, my one of my take-home messages were was it's it's very complex and and it is somewhat naive for me to think that I can even understand this, you know, forty-year, fifty-year history or whatever it is, or obviously even longer, and you know, in, in a week time to prep for this, uh, no way. And but I have realized that it is very complex and it, there is a lot of cultural root to it, um, but there's also a lot of passionate people in the same instance that love wolves and that would, you know, do anything for them. And they're doing great, amazing things that are conservation heroes for wolves. And then are, are the reason why they've been able to, to get to about 6,000 in the lower 48. And so, yeah, I just, it, you know, I, I just think that we need to somehow figure out how to coexist with them as a model for mm-hmm. these more of this, not only here in the United States, but in other, you know, in other countries. And we've, mm-hmm. you know, we've somehow managed to do, do it with other species, the bald eagle. Um, oh, yeah. And, you know. I was, know, I was, I was, I was trying to think of one happy success story. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess the bison. There's, there's, they're out the there. Bi- I mean, they're out there. They're bison. Few and, few and hard to, few far between but yeah right yeah the american alligator um, oh although, the american alligator there's a toad in wyoming i just learned about which is really mm-hmm. cool but okay again. yeah california and, condor california right. condor peregrine falcon yeah. okay raptors okay yeah, yeah okay yeah there's they're, oh. they're they're out there so they're there and and, and you know and this uh, i think this has a, a little bit more complexity to it because it is a predator and uh, and all this but so but yeah i mean let's let's like I don't know, and I'm not saying that one group should bend to the other or anything like that. But gosh darn it, I feel like if we could, this, the solutions about how do we, how can humans and wolves better coexist? I uh, I don't think it's whether you're for or against it because I think that 
depolarization that's happening mm-hmm. is what's uh, making everything just be stalled out and spending a lot of money. Um, I think it's it's look, using science to figure out, okay, well, how do we how do we live with these guys and let their populations yeah. grow? Okay. And I don't mean to be alarmist, and I'll just you know I know <laughs> we got we got to go and and sign off, but no, it's there fun. are. I will say every week, you know, and, and Corbin brings them on his show. We bring them on our show. There are many people around the earth fighting for these animals. Um, you know, they're, they're, except the talking, there's not an organization or hippos. Those are the two we need. <laughs> we need organizations for, but oh, yeah. there's people out there and, and they're conservation heroes and the listeners to this show, to your show, to our show, they're conservation heroes too. And we all need to become conservation heroes. Even the hunters, and not, you know, the ones that are hunting wolves, they need to learn, be educated and realize, okay, maybe this isn't a good thing and become well, and sufficient I, heroes. And, that's, and I think the other thing too is any, any of these complex issues, it's like, listen to the other person. And that's why I spent a little time trying to put myself in like the DNR or the fish and wildlife shoes or in a hunter's shoes or in a, uh, in a farmer's, you know, what, and that's, and it's very hard I really was not successful putting myself in a, a, a hunter's shoes that would want to hunt a wolf. So that, I need to work on that. I'll, I actually I'll do that. had one. On, I'll do that. And, I'll do that in therapy. I actually had <laughs> one. I had one on my show. Okay. Yeah. I had one. He actually came over. It was my friend's um, brother came on the show and we actually had a, a round table and we talked okay. after. And I need to listen to we that. We started yeah. out with a shot of Jack. I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> I swear I to God, I, that. I I don't ever that. drink like before interviews <laughs> or during interviews. But I was like, Casey, I love or what? Caleb, Caleb was there. I said, Caleb, yeah. like, <laughs> cheers, man. <laughs> and it, it, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. That's, oh, probably, God. that's probably a good approach because I think that it's, <laughs> it's a you know, I, <laughs> I that might be that. Sh- let's file that away in the solutions category. Yes, alcohol, Jack yeah. Daniels got it. Got Jack Daniels, right? Oh my god, that's funny. Okay, really, really quick, you guys, can we do a bonus segment? Yeah. Are you ready? Absolutely. Yeah. Because I opened up a little can of worms on my Facebook page and asked people what they thought about the reintroduction of wolves. And oh yeah, oh. Okay. And, and, and their thoughts, okay? And I feel like we should just do a couple shout-outs because I really appreciate everybody commenting on my Facebook page. And, by the way, if you are not liking All Creatures Facebook page, please like their page. It's just All Creatures Podcast. Okay, ready? Mm-hmm. You guys ready for this? Yep. yep. Okay. What are your thoughts? Okay, Hannah says, I support with a smiley face. I think wolves are an essential part of the wildlife industry. Yep. I like that. Yep. Okay, let's see. Anna says, I think they should be reintroduced in their historical habitat. It is healthy for the ecosystems. That being said, it is also important to accompany that with education and better farming practices to avoid conflicts. Was that you that wrote that, Angie? Okay, I have to tell a secret. No, but whoever wrote that, Anna. I love you, man. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. Ryan. And I'm, I'm happy we have both sides. Ryan says, wolves are destroying the deer and elk population in Idaho. It's not reintroduction either. These wolves have never been in Idaho as they're Canadian wolves. They're far bigger and much more aggressive. Smoke a pack a day and save a thousand elk. <laughs> okay. I think we debunked that one throughout the, the podcast that these are gray wolves, Canis lupus. They're, they are, we're all the way down into Mexico. We know that humans have driven them out of the lower, lower 48 and they, we, we've already established too that cougars kill more elk than wolves 
and they belong there. And too many elk and too many deer is not healthy for an ecosystem, period. End of story. Yeah, and Thank I also... You. And I also I, want, I, go oh, ahead. Go ahead, Angie. Oh, and, and a little, I guess, a challenge to Ryan would be if there are slightly somewhat, if you're feeling like there's less elk or deer when you're out hunting, like that's a better challenge, man. Like, yeah. make oh, yeah. it make it more of a fair fight, right? Now, yeah. and and I just want to say something with Ryan because I had on, uh, you know, like I said, that gal from the Wolf Conservation Center, Maggie Howell. Yeah. I just like saying her last name, Howell. But oh, she that's was awesome, saying. She was saying, like, I mean, with wolves in size, they're not as big as people think. And she was saying, like, a female would be anywhere from 90 to maybe 100. She said, like, a big wolf will be, like, 130, maybe 140. But, like, these are rare. Like, they're not these gigantic massive, which is interesting. I found that. I don't know if you guys found any information on that either. Um, Ryan also responded. Someone said, Alicia said to Ryan's comment, what about the elk overpopulating? Or is this not a concern? It's a genuine question. I'm not up up to date on any of this. And Ryan came back and said, hunters did a really good job at keeping the populations healthy through hunting. The populations grew to a healthy number and were sustained after the introduction of these Canadian wolves. The numbers are shrinking. Which is good for the ecosystem. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's it's good. Less elk is good for the ecosystem. I don't think they give enough tags to keep the elk population in check. I don't have well, the data in front and of there's me. An, and but, I don't have the data either. There's an amazing study out of um, Isle Royale in, um, off the, the northwestern coast of Michigan in the Great Lake where it's this bizarre moose and wolf island. Oh, yes. Lake. Mm-hmm. Yes. Very cool. Yeah. We don't have time to get into it. Google it. It's yeah. a real, I had, of course, in all my ecology classes uh, many, many moons ago, had to study it. And I, I meant to, I meant to read up on it before this, but basically if left alone, they balance each other. Now, granted, this is on a, an island and so they can't migrate too much and there's not other black bear, or other big predators or things like that. But I guess my what I would want more data, which I think is lacking, uh, is that so, okay, well, if there's less elk, then there's probably going to be in some years less wolves because they don't have as much food. And then the elk numbers are going to go up. And then the wolf numbers are going to go up. And then... They'll go back. They do this cyclical thing. And so that's how it was for a millennia before we came around, right? Millions of years. Like checks and balances and stuff. Oh, let's see. Someone says, yeah, there's just a bunch of stuff. Let's see. I took an elk back in 2012 where my dad and I started hearing howling and barking. They're about a mile away and they were surrounding us and they were closing in. I've also heard of hunters taking animals before they even get to the animal. The wolves had already eaten it. I think we just need to send the podcast link to this guy because, uh, you know, wolves do not look at us as a food source. Matter of fact, um, what, what are the stats? I think there's only been, was it one account or fatal something? Was it in, I think it was in Alaska or something and a couple in Russia. I read, it's very, very it was rare. really whatever. Very Ultra rare. rare. Very rare. Like more, we rare. say it, we say it all the time. More hit people it, are killed it. by cows. More people are killed by cows each year and in the deer. United States. That deer that you're hunting deer? Yeah. is more way people. more likely to kill you. Yeah, then okay. sharks, bears, wolves, all the things that we're scared of. 
Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, this is my friend Joe the Batman. He said, I wish they would reintroduce him to every major city in the U.S. Lol. <laughs> I, <laughs> I agree. He's from yeah, New York. those poor wolves wouldn't survive very long. No. Uh, Stan says, I believe they were here first. Only the strong will survive. Amanda says, depends on where we reintroduce them. And Tara says they're pro. Anyway, there's tons of comments. I can't get to all of them. But uh, thank you all once again. Um, even, you know, people anti, you know, thank you for commenting because i it, it's it's brave to you know come on an animal i don't know chat room and or it is, it is. well it is and, and i and that's the thing is we we want to i i i want to have a pulse on what other people think or what their what their um what their their take on it is and yeah. because how are we gonna ever spread help educate people or things like that if we don't know where the problems look like I never knew that w- people thought the Canadian wolves were more aggressive or bigger until I started learning about it. And now I know that that's something that we need to talk about or have more data to support that that's not true. And so that's how you learn is by actually listening to people and then understanding them. And if we don't keep that that dialogue going, then we're it, we're we're all screwed mm-hmm. <laughs> in my yeah, opinion. Yeah. yeah, awesome. Yeah. You guys, as always, were amazing. I love our roundtables. And do you have any closing remarks? I know Angie, you kind of you know closed on yours, but anything, any takeaway messages for listeners? And thank you, by the way, if you're an hour and a half in, it's usually longer than our usual episodes. So <laughs> thank you for listening to the show. No, where's I, where's that shot of Jack Daniels? I know. Uh, I can't no. even see it. That shot. Of Jack. No, I just think we need to keep the conversation going. And like I said, it, and we'll do, we'll revisit trophy hunting um, as we learn. Cause you know, we, we, we learn each week, we cover different species. we speak to different experts. We learn uh, as we've been doing this. And I don't mean to be an alarmist. I'm just saying things are not good and we need to change everywhere around the world. And we are, and things, there's a lot of positive out there. You know, it's just this, this topic really got me fired up obviously. And you know, I, I, I think we just need to keep the conversation going through both sides. Don't shut down. Once you shut down, we're never going to find solutions. That's great. That's great. (laughs) That's my final comment. (laughs) You guys are awesome. Until next time, our next round table. Thank you so much, Chris and Angie, the all creatures podcast. Make sure to check it out. If not, make sure to hit subscribe. It's one of my favorite podcasts. And thank you so much for all the shout outs. And we're all making a difference a little bit, you know, a little bit at a time. So I really appreciate it. Thank you, Corbin. So great to talk to you, buddy. Yep. Yep. Cheers. Cheers. And cut. Where's the Jack? I can't. (laughs)